Hi folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Thursday, May the 3rd, and this is episode 894 of the Survival Podcast, and it's also a really great one because I have uh, two of my favorite people in the world coming back on. They're both uh, good members of the Prepper community, uh, good members of the Survival Podcast community, and close personal friends, and they are Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. We'll have them on in just a moment. Before we do, though, I'd like to go ahead and take care of our housekeeping. Uh, item one, of course, as always, is let's take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you by making sure the show's here for you Monday through Friday, five days a week. And sponsor of the day number one today is Ready Made Resources. Now, look, what more can you ask for from a company than for the name of the company to tell you what they are, what they do, and then have them do it and do it consistently in the right way every single time? That's what you get from Ready Made Resources. All the resources you need for your prepping, ready made, ready to go, point click buy, delivered to your home with great pricing and great service. Check them out today at ReadyMadeResources.com. And when I say all the resources, I mean everything the tactical, the practical, and everything in between. From, uh, from guns, ammunition, and tactical supplies to gardening supplies to solar and wind, photovoltaic panels, long term storage food, you name it, they've got it. ReadyMadeResources.com. Next up today, bulk ammo. Your gun without ammunition is an expensive club or possibly a decent barter item, but it is not a firearm capable of feeding you or protecting your household. It is simply a big piece of metal. So you got to have ammo in that one old box of .30-06 sitting up in the corner and the other box of 9mm sitting down in your nightstand is not enough. It's not enough in hard times. It's also not enough to train with to make sure you're proficient with that weapon. Because even if you have sufficient ammo for the job, do you have sufficient training and experience with the weapon to use it to either, again, put food on the table or protect your family? So either way, you need ammo. You need ammo for lean times. And there may be another ammo shortage on the way. There's a lot of rumblings about it. I'm not sure, but it's possible. And you need ammo for those times. And you also need ammo so you can run that gun and learn how to use it and become extremely proficient with it. Because one day your life, or at least your stomach, may depend upon it. Check them out today, BulkAmmo.com. Uh, remember, best way to get to any of our sponsors, go to TheSurvivalPodcast.com. It's also known as TheSurvivalPodcast.com, based on what part of the country you're from and whether you say the or the, and click on their banners in the right-hand margin. I don't say that because I have any kind of referral relationship with these guys or anything like that. That way you just know you're dealing with a real sponsor and not somebody that's a brand pirate, because trust me, It happens online all the time. People that buy domain names with one extra letter or leaving a letter out of it or put a hyphen in it or whatever, and then people run a Google search or just try to type it directly in, and they end up on another website and they buy from a different company where you may or may not get the level of service that you've been promised here uh, because we expect nothing other than excellent service from our sponsors, and they all deliver. Uh, that's part of our service to you. This show does not exist to serve advertisers or sell advertising. It exists to serve you, the audience, Uh, and people find it kind of ironic when they try to become a sponsor or buy their way in, and they're told no, and they're given that response. They think it's a line. It's not a line. Those of you who have been listening for uh, the better part of the four years we've been here, you probably know that that is the case, and we've done that from the very beginning. I want to remind you again, when you hear our sponsors at the beginning of the show, they are not people that showed up with a check and got in. They are community members, and they are personal endorsements by me, and they are certified by our listener ad council, our moderators on the forum, as being companies you can trust giving your business to. 
Next up, remember, you can connect with me, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. There's, that's a great thing to do. I uh, put out a thing saying I was looking for like some kind of mount for my iPhone to do camera work with it because it's so easy and quick to upload and things like that to YouTube. And I got a bunch of great responses, but I ch check this thing out if you're a, if you do video work at all and you have an iPhone or another small like flip camera or whatever, um, check out swivel.com without the e. It's s w i v l dot com. It's a great little mount. You put your phone in it. You wear this thing around your neck, and the camera follows you. And it follows you left and right. And if you want it to follow up and down, you just push a button. It'll do that. You can turn recording on and off remotely. It's freaking awesome and I'll be able to put it right on top of my camera tripod or put it on a desk if I'm doing like a desktop review and uh, it'll be like having a cameraman on a lifetime salary of 189 bucks check it out today swivel.com I don't sell it I don't you know but I haven't even gotten it yet so you might want to hold off till I actually get it and see if it does what it's supposed to do but if it does what it's supposed to do look for the number of YouTube videos to skyrocket and uh Look for me to be really happy with my purchase. Again, check it out at their site uh, if you need any type of a device like that. And thanks to everybody that sent me suggestions, even though I went with this one. There were a lot of great suggestions, and I just guess I never really looked uh, and never really thought about using it as my primary video device. But the iPhone 4S is such a damn good video, it just makes sense to do. Uh, almost makes me wish I hadn't spent all that money on an HD Sony camera. Uh, by the time you get done editing and, and, and converting the files and uploading, it takes hours to do what I can do with my iPhone in, in quite literally minutes. Uh, real quick again, uh, you can check out tspcopper.com. Again, tspcopper.com for really cool copper medallions. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. And uh, you'll be supporting the show at 18.3 cents an episode on an annual basis. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, any other first responder type uh, performance, either uh, past, uh, past employment or existing employment, email me with details of your uh, service. Tell me who you are and what you're doing who, or who you are and what you did. And I will spend you, send you a special discount code to thank you for your service that will also apply to your recurring uh, charges on your membership as it renews annually or quarterly or monthly, however you decide to sign up. And now with that is my good pleasure to uh, introduce, as I said, not only great members of the community of preppers at large, uh, great podcasters in their own right with a great show, great web publishers with an awesome site called Doom and Bloom, uh, and uh, people with real hard-earned medical experience, uh, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, a physician and a nurse uh, that uh, make their lives together and now work you know, 100% of their time to serve the prepper community in all walks of life. And they also have a great new uh, book out that they're here to discuss. Hey, Bones, Amy, welcome back to the Survival Pod Podcast, guys. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for inviting us back. Hi, Jack. We're glad to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you guys here, and because it's you guys, and because y'all are close personal friends, I've been able to do something I've been trying to do a long time. I've actually got my wife, uh, Dorothy, with us today on the air. So, hey, Dorothy, say hello to everybody. Hello, I am here. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Well, it's <laughs> nice to talk to another female prepper, Dorothy. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. And part of why I brought Dorothy on is, as a busy guy, I was able to skim your book, which I do with most, most authors I'm interviewing. It's like it's time to fit it in. Dorothy actually read your entire book, and she was very impressed with it, so I figured she might have a, a few questions that I wouldn't think to ask today. 
Um, but what I kind of did want to lead off with, it's, I think, a basic question that anybody that's going to look at buying your new book, which, of course, is the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Handbook, um, is going to be, well, what makes this different from any other first aid book or other medicine book or any book like, you know, where there is no doctor or something like that? What makes your book unique? You know, there are excellent uh, medical books out there, Where There Is No Doctor, uh, Medicine for the Outdoors, and uh, I, I love these I love these books, but even Where There Is No Doctor, which is supposedly uh, is supposed to tell you what to do when you're in a, a third world situation, they end most of their chapters with, and go to the hospital, and see the doctor. But... What if there is no hospital? What, what if there is no doctor? What if you're the end of the line when it comes to the medical well-being of your family or, or survival group? There had to be a book that was out there that told people what to do in situations where modern medical care is not accessible. And that's what we've tried to do with this book. We've tried to uh, give people strategies on what to do when medical health is not on the way. Yeah, I mean, I would always think of where there is no doctor, like it should have had like another line to the title, where there is no doctor today, right? <laughs> where like, I guess you guys are trying to come more from a standpoint of where there is no doctor for a long time. Right, exactly. The main goal of wilderness medicine, for example, or third world medicine is to stabilize an ill or injured individual and then transfer them to where modern medical facilities are, even if those medical facilities are far away. However, there may come a time, and we, I hope not, but there may come a time where modern medical facilities just no longer exist. And if, if this is a situation, if you're the person that's responsible for keeping your family healthy, you have got to know what to do to take care of an ill or individual uh, or injured individual from beginning to end. And that's basically what we're doing. If you're the person that's responsible from beginning to end as to whether that sick or injured, injured individual is going to get better or not and how well they're going to recover, well, there needed to be a book that talked about this subject. And that's exactly what we've done with, with this book. We saw that there wasn't a book exactly like this, and we felt that it uh, supplied information to the preparedness community that will be useful in times of trouble. And I just want to add a small thing to that. And it, there are actual medical texts that you can get that will tell you how to perform a lot of these uh, uh, procedures and, and take care of a lot of these medical issues. But unfortunately, they're written in medical language, and that is a very difficult thing if you not, have not had years of training to interpret. So you can buy a lot of, of textbooks, but you may not understand it. So another goal of ours was to sort of translate, would be the word, from the medical ease technolo uh, 
technical words into plain English. That's right. Yeah, because if I read something that says, like, make a decision bisecting the subcollateral. Don't do this, folks, because I don't know what I'm saying. I'm making words. <laughs> you know, bisecting the subcollateral inverse uh, Higgins organ. And I don't know what the hell that means. It doesn't really do me any good. Well, I'm sitting there looking at the picture going, I guess that's about here. You know, and that doesn't seem like a good way to practice medicine, even when there is no doctor, so to speak. I'll, I'll, Although you've impressed me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just like Star Trek, you know, where the guy'd say, you know, we're going to, you know, do this with the dilithium crystals or whatever. And I go, well, that's what I would do. You know? Absolutely. I, I do think it's very well written and it's very easy to understand. I really enjoyed it. Well, we really appreciate it. Well, thank you. And, and you know, it really was written for um, the non-medical uh, personnel. So you just can pick this book up. You haven't gone to medical school and, and really understand these different issues. And so I'm, I'm glad, Dorothy, that, that it did speak to you and, and it was easy to understand. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, another thing, I, hey, guys, we're going to uh, just give it a pause here. Okay. I'm dealing with a reverb echo that's gone now, so I'm just going to leave a long break so I can edit it out easy. Well, guys, you kind of mentioned that it's for people even without medical training or anything, but, you know, Dorothy's been a nurse for 20, 20 plus years at LVN, um, worked in pediatric clinics at the beginning, worked in a, in a hospital, um, and she even took a lot of stuff away from it, like you were saying earlier about, like, the essential oils. Yeah, you know, I um, don't know a lot about the essential oils, so I really liked that chapter, and I liked I like that you give a lot of herbal and essential oil treatments for a lot of the stuff. I think that was really interesting. You know, it's very important to to know what plants in your environment might have medicinal benefits because, believe me, if, if we ever uh, hit upon uh, tough times, uh, they're not going to be producing pharmaceuticals. They're not going to be uh, producing uh, a lot of medical supplies, and so you need to know what's out there in nature. I mean, for example, uh, in the underbark, not not the outer bark, but the underbark of uh, willow trees, also poplar trees and aspen trees, there's actually a substance called salicin, and salicin is aspirin. And so you actually have a pain reliever by simply chewing strips of underbark or baking tea from it, and, and you can deal with a lot of medical issues uh, with natural uh, plants uh, and, and natural alternative type remedies. And, and we really feel that we want to give all the tools that are available uh, in the medical woodshed, so to speak, mm -hmm, uh, right. uh, to our readers so that they know that they don't always have to depend on conventional medicine. Well, it's not only just depending on it. No matter how much medication you stock up on, it eventually is either going to be used up or it's going to eventually go bad. Everything has a shelf life. Uh, we have talked about extended shelf lives for capsules and, and pills. However, that still has a shelf life. So you need to learn what else you're going to be able to go to if you don't have the antibiotic or it's been used up. So we try to provide natural remedies like, you know, ginger and garlic. And the essential oils especially are something that we really do need to stock up on now. Uh, we put the essential oils in 
a chapter in the beginning, you know, talking a lot about, you know, a few different ones that I really feel are important to have in your house because it's going to be nearly impossible to produce even small quantities of essential oils, even if we do plant, say, a lot of lavender because they are so concentrated. It takes so much plant material to even make a few drops of these. And frankly, my yard or my garden is going to be full of edibles and not sure. essential oil material. Because, and, I mean, it takes literally tons to make ounces when, you, but, when you're looking at And that's why people wonder, like, why is this stuff, so, you know, pure essential oil, why is it so expensive? The, the quantity is almost inconceivable when you look at this little vial and realize how much lavender or peppermint went into making that. Uh, you know that it takes about an acre of lavender to, to make about 12 gallons of, um, of lavender oil. I mean, it's, it's crazy. We're, no one's going to fill up their yard. So we put this in because a lot of people are not thinking about storing essential oils, and they really are something along with all of your medical supplies that you need to get now. Yes, can I grow chamomile flowers post-apocalyptic? Yes, I can, and I can use those flowers to make myself you know, a chamomile tea, or I can grow echinacea and use the root to help build up my immunity. But the essential oils are going to be nearly impossible unless you have millions of acres. So we wanted to introduce people. We wanted them to, to understand them and to be interested in them and, and understand how to use them. All right. Small amounts of, of, this, of these plants can be used to make teas, and that, and that is relatively easy to do. But one thing that's hard to do is to actually have a, a, a distillery process in which you actually get the oil. I'm going to be distilling things, Jack, but it but it ain't a yeah. oil. <laughs> yeah, me both. I got Steve Harris's uh, biofuel still uh, for making ethyl alcohol biofuel, and it's for fuel. Uh, but yeah, uh, fuel, uh, fuel, fuel, that fuel, I must yes. not drink your fuel to have. But you might accidentally fuel. drink it, and the good news is, if you accidentally drink gas, you're in big trouble, or drink diesel, you're in big trouble. <laughs> You accidentally drink ethanol, uh, well, you'll be okay. Party, yeah. party time. Oh, sorry. Uh, anyway, on a serious note, you kind of wrote the book. I mean, I got the impression it was written toward the concept of like having somebody, and, and, and Doc Bones used this this term just a bit ago, uh, being like the medic, like the medic in your family or the medic in your group. So, kind of, what is the medic's job description? Because obviously. If if we were all stuck together and someone had you know been shot or seriously injured, we would turn to you and specifically Doc Bones and say fix them, right? And you can do it with the limits of what you have and how bad the injury is. But the average person like me, you know, even if you have some like basic tra trauma training like EMT or something, there's still a limit to what I can do versus what a true physician can do. So what is the role of that medic? You know, the, the medic has multiple responsibilities. It goes without saying that the medic is the, the, the chief medical officer for uh, a survival community, but the medic is also the chief sanitation officer. In other words, that person is going to be responsible for making sure that the conditions at the, the camp or retreat Hygiene, right. is, are, are sanitary right. and will not cause infectious disease to run rampant among, among his people or her people. And so that's one very, very important aspect of being uh, an effective survival medic. Uh, you're also the chief dental officer. Now, uh, it, during the Vietnam War, do you know that 50% of all the sick call uh, 
patients or the the, people, the soldiers I presented for sick call were there for dental reasons and not for medical reasons. So you have to have some general knowledge about how to deal with dental issues. And, and You know what that makes me think of? There was this Vietnam-era movie, you know, it probably came out 10 years after Vietnam. It was an 80s-era movie. I think it might have been Hamburger Hill. Oh, where the medic is talking to the guy about brushing his teeth, and he has everybody remove your toothbrush, put the paste on it, brush in a rapid up and down motion, and the guy's like doing the normal, you know, you know, messing around, and he's like flipping out on the guy over dental hygiene and freaks him out, and all of a sudden he's doing it the way he's supposed to do it. Yeah. Well, uh, it's a good point because well, the last thing you're going to want to be dealing with is a lot of dental pain when there's there's no dentist around. Yeah, think about it. I Oof. mean, have, if you've ever had a, a bad toothache, you know that you are not at 100% efficiency. Mm-mm. And in, in a survival situation, you need your people at 110% efficiency. So uh, you need to know how to deal with uh, uh, dental issues. And I'll Especially tell you one thing. extraction. Right. Yeah, nowadays, nowadays the philosophy of modern dentistry is to save every tooth if at all possible. But that is actually a very, very new philosophy. When I say new, I don't mean since Roman times. I'm saying, you know, for about just just the last 50 years or so. I mean, before then, most dental emergencies, dental issues were dealt with with extraction. And so it will be again if we ever find ourselves in hard times, and so it's important to have a, uh, perhaps a couple of extractors, a um, elevator, which is sort of a kind of a very small chisel that that loosens up the ligaments that hold holds the diseased tooth in place, and and learn how to remove it. There's actually uh, an awesome YouTube video about removing a, a tooth oh, on Mount, Mount Everest base camp. And, mm. and and that is uh and it's a and, it's and a, it can be done. They it's a young woman that they remove the tooth from, and I tell you, she's a lot braver than I would be. Oh my God, it's like an absolutely barbaric process <laughs> by modern standards, but oh. it's the only thing that people had, and you know, it makes me think of Castaway, right? And that, I don't think that method would have worked, you know, <laughs> the skate in the rock, but yes, yeah. but yes. but the, but the philosophy of eventually the pain is bad enough that I'll take more pain to stop it. Yes. You know, it is is very real. Yeah, we're all going to be um, rather toothless if we don't take care of our teeth. If there's there's no uh, dentist or medic around to help you out. Right, but it, not it, just – go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, I'm just, uh, You guys have got me all going on movies now. Remember Moonraker? <laughs> it just makes you want to – just go ahead and just get it done now. Make them all stainless steel and <laughs> – There you go. Know, yeah. <laughs> just be done with it. <laughs> or we should all just get a bunch of dentures. <laughs> so anyhow, additionally – you need to understand that you're going to be the group counselor. In other words, oh. in, a, in a collapse situation, there is going to be a lot of... Mass hysteria. Hysteria. Grief. Anxiety. Stress. Depression. Sleeplessness. All sorts of stuff. So you, you know that these kinds of things are infectious. They can wreak havoc Basically upon, freak a, out mode. Upon, upon a camp. And so you have to know how to deal with depression and anxiety just as well as you have to deal with broken bones and cuts and things like that. So you have to have good communication skills. You have to be a good listener. And you also have to be, of course, confidential. You have to maintain the privacy of your people uh, when when you are going to be the person that's responsible for their medical well-being. So that's very important. Also, you're the medical quartermaster. 
I mean, you've got a certain number of medical supplies, and it's a l- unlikely that you're going to be getting more. And so when do you dole out those precious exactly. uh, uh, few antibo- uh, antibiotic tablets? What that was you that, After Armageddon? Oh, yeah. Speaking of movies, Jack, now, did you see mm-hmm. After Armageddon? You know, I don't think I did. This is a History Channel series, actually. In which oh, I have seen it. Yes. With the yeah, young okay. family that wanders around, they eventually yes. community. And, and the he, dude ends up dying at the end from an infection in his leg or something like that. Yeah, right. he cut himself of using an axe. So they yeah. Antibiotics. Yeah, he could have also used a poultice and pulled a lot of that infection out I with know, you know, so like silly. or garlic. And, and, yeah. and that, but but the thing is, is that <laughs> that medic didn't those know. people didn't know they how didn't to do that, and that's herbal. why we talk about that in the book. That's right, herbal right. medicine, everybody. Right, garlic. Uh, <laughs> Honey, uh, a lot of things. Raw have- honey is, oh, and not only is raw honey fantastic, it never goes bad. It's one You know of- that, that family violated one of our other guests' common rules, which is Frank Sharp Jr. from Fortress Defense Consultants. His primary rule for staying alive is don't go to stupid places and do stupid things with <laughs> stupid people. And that was the embodiment of stupid people, stupid places, <laughs> stupid things. But, I mean, they were trying to create, you know, this is yeah. what happened. I, I don't think they were inaccurate with what many people would do. Yes, exactly, exactly. No, um, but, but the fact that they ran out of the antibiotics, that, that, quote, medic who was the one he went to, should have said, like you mentioned, you know, hey, we've got some, some bees, we've got some honey, we, we can give you some fresh garlic. You know, I mean, there were so many things. And taking care of the wound, first of all, if it would have just been cleaned <laughs> properly, wound yeah. care, he never would have had this infection in the first place. Yeah, rubbing dirt on your wound, I don't care what you saw on TV, is not a good way to, <laughs> to, to suture up your, or, or, you know, clean up your wound. <laughs> and please, unless it's absolutely an emergency, don't be Dave Canterbury and put gunpowder in it and ignite it. Oh, wow. that was horrifying to watch. I have to tell you. <laughs> wow, that, that, was, that was absolutely scary. Absolutely scary. I can't believe that. that but it worked. He's a heck it of, did work. He's a heck of a guy. It did work, but I probably would have tried pressure first. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he cut himself, too, to it. That was that was kind of crazy. But I guess we all have to be careful if we ever get a reality show on Discovery. They're going to ask us to do things that might break Frank's rule. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? So, so, so you even have other. Oh, I'm so sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. You do have even other things, of course. You know, you're an education resource. You have to realize that you have to cross train your people so that they, so every single one of them knows what to do in an emergency, at least basic first aid. Because I'll tell you, one one day the medic's going to need a medic, and and you don't want to be the only person that's the guardian of the medical knowledge. You know, you really want to spread that around so that other people can take care of issues if you don't happen to be there or if you happen to be the victim. And I mean, is there a way to, like, kind of put a priority on that so that other people can start at, like, very basic levels and triage and, and, and set priority so that the guy with the most training can use his training to the most effectiveness and the most need and that lower-end things can even be self-administered or self-taken care of and, and that type of thing? Oh, you're, abso- you're absolutely right. As a matter of fact, I was just talking uh, with a, another uh, preparedness community just, just recently about how to conduct triage, triage for a mass casualty event. 
And and basically, one of the first things you do is, you, of course, you have to assign uh, levels of severity of injury to to the victims. And the first thing you do is, hey, everyone who can walk and needs medical attention, go to this area. Yeah. And those who are uninjured, follow me. And that means that now you've got people. If you if you get two or three people that can do that, now you've got somebody. If you if the next person you come upon is bleeding heavily, you can have them just sit on that person and press. You've got up, compression. Apply pressure exactly. to the wound while you triage uh, while you triage everywhere else. It gives you time to be able to evaluate all of the victims. I've also cleaned up the mess, so to speak, so I've gotten all the people that really can look after themselves, at least for the immediate uh, future, out of the way. And I've only got able-bodied people that can help me with me. So if you're walking and you're near me, don't whine to me. Put pressure on that wound because if you're hurt, you should be over there. That's right. That's right. Triage is very important, especially if there are mass casualties. Now, you guys bring up a lot about, uh, you know, alternative medicine, but also antibiotics. And, like, we can look to things like fish antibiotics. I'm actually sitting here looking at four different bottles of them that okay. after reading the book we've added to our preps. No, of course. No, it's because you have guppies. Yes, yes. But we have added them to our preps for our guppies. Right. But <laughs> my question is, we were talking about expiration dates. So I'm looking at expiration dates on, let's see, fish flocks here. Uh, which is like 2014, yeah. and we've all discussed before that that date is complete BS. Uh, but what is a realistic time frame based on your experience for any medication, whether they're for guppies or for people? Well, I would say that uh, all the evidence shows that pills or, or medications that are in pill or capsule form are going to last at least two to ten years, or at, it will be at, at normal potency for two to ten years after that stated expiration date. And uh, I refer to something we talked about on our last, uh, the last time I was on your show, is the Shelf Life Extension Program, in which FEMA did a study exactly to find that out on all these millions of doses of expired medications that they had. And and my impression is the ones that were that they said were two years, uh, it's because they were only expired two years at the time of the, <laughs> <laughs> at the time they did the study. Yeah. So yeah. I believe that they're going to be completely effective for many for quite a number of years afterwards. And after that, it's not that they become poisonous or or dangerous in some way. It's just that the potency of them, especially if they're stored in, in, in poor conditions like high heat or, or out, in, out in the sun, things like that, that that they would lose some potency over time, and you may need more of, of them to get, achieve the same effect. Gotcha. And are there things that we can do to improve their life expectancy oh, or to make sure we reach 10 years? Like taking the bottles and vacuum sealing them, does that, does that do any good at all? I think that... Uh, freezing and vacuum sealing aren't aren't bad things to do. I think that the most important thing is if you could just keep it at let's say 50 degrees. If you can keep it in a in a dark place. If you could avoid humidity. I mean, I think I think that it's important to pack these in. If you're going to pack them in, let's say uh, mylar bags or plastic bags, you you have some desiccants in there. 
Because that right, I or think the is, oxygen absorbers right. exactly. I, I don't think it hurt, and I don't think there's been a study that showed well this lasted longer because we had it vacuum packed versus this other antibiotic. Hopefully, all of us can do these experiments in ten years when we still have laboratories. You have to. You have to. Re- you and have check to, it out for ourselves. But you have to realize that the pharmaceutical industry really isn't interested in having their pill that uh, they would like you to throw away in, in a year and a half. Uh, still be around 10 years later, even if it's effective. Right, because you won't buy more. So tell me about the effectiveness or, I mean, using these fish antibiotics, not the effectiveness, the... Um, the safety? The safety, thank you. If, if you. I mean, I know they're for guppies, but let's say that in the future, the apocalypse has come, we need antibiotics, we have our, you know... Uh, fish flax or fish mocks. We have fish mocks, and is fish it, flocks. Is it safe for use on humans, even though the bottle says not for human consumption? <laughs> you know, we have uh, uh, many, many years of experience with tropical fish back in, in, in the day before we were into preparedness, and now we raise tilapia as food fish in our pond. And so we've had a lot of time to take a look you know to take a look at our supplies that are that are aquarium antibiotics and and some other veterinary antibiotics uh, out of that and the important thing to look at when you're evaluating these things is look at the ingredients make sure there is exactly one ingredient and that is just the antibiotic itself all of the uh, particular ones that i have mentioned on on in the book and also in many articles on uh, doomandbloom.net are only the antibiotic itself. That's all it is. And you have to take a look and make sure that they're in the appropriate dosage for human consumption. And every single one of the antibiotics that I talk about, that we have talked about in our book, are are either the adult or the pediatric dosage, human adult and human pediatric dosage uh, for that particular antibiotic. As a matter of fact, if you go to, if you look at Fishmox, the uh, 500 milligram version, and, and and you open the bottle, usually they're uh, red and and pink pills with the numbers WC letters and numbers WC 731. If you look at the physician's desk reference, which is a book that shows you pictures of all the pharmaceuticals that are produced today, you'll see that amoxicillin amoxicillin, which is the human version, is a red and a pink capsule, and it's got the numbers WC731. Well, because to me, just from an entrepreneurial standpoint and a logistical standpoint, setting up a separate facility to make fish antibiotics doesn't make sense. When Mm -hmm. what I want is the antibiotic, and I already have a production facility with quality control, and all I have to do is put it in a different bottle. That's exactly right, Jack. You, you Bingo. Hit, you hit, you hit the, the nail on the head, and that's the point. Nobody is setting up fish antibiotic manufacturing facilities. They don't exist. What happens is those antibiotics are either transferred to a human bottling facility or a, a fish antibiotic bottling facility, and they put put them in the bottles, and they put different labels on them, and one will go to the human pharmacy, and the other one will be sold to pet and Petco or PetSmart. Right, right. exactly. Right. And, and think about it. This is, this is the one thing that I want you to think about. Why does a guppy 
require the same dose of amoxicillin that a 180-pound adult male human. Because a guppy's sitting in a giant tank and it's being diluted massively by water. Well, but, but, <laughs> but no, hold on. Not our bed. Hold on. Wait. Hold on. But they, they don't give you the exact dose that you put in a 10-gallon tank right. or a Siamese fighting fish jar. Which is what we weigh. Or, ah. or a 200-gallon 200 uh, 200 piranha tank. Right. At one point, we had, you know, uh, over a 1,000 separate small jars of fish. And if they got sick, they got that capsule put in their small little, what's the smallest jar we use? Half-gallon? Mm-hmm. Quarter-gallon. Half gallon, quarter gallons, because they don't require much water. You just do what, frequent water changes. They got the same capsule. Sure. You know, sure. as a ten gallon. Well, and our other tanks are ten or twenty, and we have one seventy gallon. Right. We have yeah. a fifty gallon with exactly. some fish. Exactly. Exactly. We have too many fish <laughs> <laughs> and a pond. <laughs> but we have lots of experience with these, and you're you're absolutely right. There is no reason. Why they would just make the same antibiotic just for fish. In the same dosage, in the same capsule. Mm-hmm. What there is is a fish antibiotic labeling Label. plant. That's Thank what. You. That's uh-huh. what really... Thank you, Jack. No, that's just marketing, <laughs> in the words of Paul e. We have had pharmacists tell us this. We have had people who worked in the fish antibiotic Quali- industry. Quality, quality control, control right to us. Um, we've had doctors write to us and say, you're so right. Um, and nobody, of course, nobody wants their name, of course. And Jack, <laughs> I'm actually going on um, a little, um, what, what should we call it? Oh. A little fishing expedition. Okay. A fish antibiotic, um, we'll call it a facility, that is about 30 minutes away. I have their address. I have Google mapped them. And I'm actually going to go to Olivet which is on, on the Internet, oh, and I'm going to go talk to them, and, and believe me, they are not making antibiotics in the back room. <laughs> it's a you know, and I think one thing we filter. should say to be clear here, too, though, is when your little Johnny has a sniff, sniffly nose and it's under the weather, we're not suggesting you go out and give him fish mocks. This me? is knowledge yeah. for the, the, the eventual case of a breakdown where antibiotics are needed to save lives. And no one's coming to help you, so you have to help yourself. That's right. Major disclaimer here. Well, I'm I'm really glad that you mentioned that because the important thing to know is that, you know, while you have modern medical facilities, while you have physicians, while you have emergency rooms, emergency rooms, standard, you know, medical therapies that will will treat uh, a very bad infection or or treat a broken bone, things like that. For goodness' sake. Don't try to do it yourself. Go ahead and let professionals with experience do it. That's right. Everything that we talk about is assuming that that situation no longer exists, that there are no doctors, there are no hospitals, that you're the end of the line. That's that's the bottom line. That's what we are all about. You know what else I liked about this book is it did get Dorothy more involved. Where like I remember one time I bought a case of uh, pork chops, uh, freeze dried Mountain House ones because they were on special, and it's like six number ten cans, and that's a lot of pork chops. And she's like, I think we have enough of those now. 
Um, but this got her motivated to go out. She didn't even tell me. She's like, yeah, I just ordered a whole bunch of fish antibiotics for our, for our press. <laughs> I'm like, that's awesome. So are there some other things that you would recommend? I know you mentioned extractors and dental tools earlier, but some other things that you would recommend and, and maybe are covered in your book or even not that people make sure they add to their medical preps. Uh, we have uh, we have lists for people that are either just a nuclear family and and just want enough to to de- want to know what they need to take, keep themselves together, uh, keep it together if things fall apart, uh, all the way to if you're going to be a person that's going to put together a field hospital. So we have all of that information uh, in the book and of course in our many articles. Uh, you need, of course, to have lots of bandages uh, if you're. And, and a lot of this depends on what exact what scenario you're exactly expecting to occur. And if, if you're expecting a situation in which perhaps there'll be civil unrest, so you better know how to treat traumatic injuries. If uh, you're concerned about economic collapse, well, you need to understand that nobody's going to be paying truckers to to move food from farms to to grocery stores. So you're going to have issues with malnutrition. You might want to stockpile some some vitamin supplements either natural supplements or or commercial supplements if if you're concerned about oh i don't know nuclear meltdown at the nuclear plant near your near home or or a nuclear event or uh, then you might want to have some supplies of potassium iodide which is a medication that helps prevent long-term damage to the thyroid so your supplies are going to depend a little bit. They're going to be varied a little bit as a result of what scenario you're specifically expecting. There are things that you you definitely need you, I, and that you can stockpile easily. And of course, uh, those are a lot of the over-the-counter medications. There's going to be uh, issues with keeping food and, and water properly prepared and sterilized. So you want to have anti-diarrheals. Uh, you're going to want triple antibiotic ointment for those for those mild infections. Um, you want to have honey. Uh, for uh, treating uh, treating some burns, you want to have. Oh gosh, uh, I'll tell you there there are hundreds of different things you need. Of course, um, uh, tourniquets. You need some. I I recommend getting some packets of uh, C-Lox or Quick Clot, which is uh, something that will help deal with hemorrhages effectively. Uh, you want tons so think, of gloves. You want tons of masks. And if you're right, thinking about you're right. thinking about a pandemic one day, you want to have more of them. And, and on, on that note, uh, Doc, I'd like to ask you your thoughts. One of the, my two big concerns that I worry about being an eventuality is one, an economic collapse. And I, I'm not saying it's going to be Patriots the coming collapse. I don't know what it'll look like, but I can do math and I can run numbers and go. This doesn't get to go forever even if I can't tell you exactly when it's going to run out. The other one is pandemic, because pandemic pandemic doesn't care if you have money. Pandemic doesn't care what color you are or how tall you are or what job you have or whether you're a child or an adult. Pandemic is indiscriminate. It's, it's like poison to a rat. If a, the squirrel eats the, the rat poison, it's just as dead as the rat. So from your standpoint, your experience in the medical industry, what are your thoughts on the eventuality of a, a truly – global pandemic and what do you think it would most likely be or be like if we ever dealt with it? Uh, I believe that a a pandemic is something that just occurs from time to time. In in the old days before the antibiotics, they were plague pandemics. Uh, uh, There was, of course, in 1918, the, what they call the Spanish flu, which was a, a viral pandemic. And I think that 
if we're going to have a pandemic, it's going to be a viral one again. Viruses mutate rapidly, and so even last year's vaccines, if you're if you're the kind of person that that takes vaccines, uh, even last year's vaccines don't necessarily have to have any effect on this year's virus at all. So this is something that I think is is part and parcel of any preparedness plan is to plan for pandemics. You need to have uh, gloves and masks. You need to have a plan for what to do in your sick room if you have somebody that has a potentially contagious disease. Tell us a little bit about uh, you have a sick room planned out. Well, we have an RV, right? So (laughs) if you're sick, you're camping in the RV until you're better. Right. Um, I, I hate to be that blunt about it, but that's that's as good as you're getting because if everybody's sick, who's going to look after the sick people and who's going to look after the house and who's going to look after the rest of the community? So, yeah, you're getting isolated by distance, and, and that may not be sufficient, but it's 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 kind of the go-between. Like, So if you're some random person off the street, you're getting quarantined by being told to leave, but if you're a family member or somebody that's part of our community, I want to take care of you, there's the place you can go until you're better. You're, you're so right because the the contagious time, uh, unfortunately, is somewhat before the symptoms even occur. But you've still got you know a few days after the symptoms occur that it can be easily transmitted, and it will depend on 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 how terrible the the virus is and how easily um, it is communicated between between humans. That's going to be the vital thing. And, and you had you had asked a question about how bad we thought it might look like in the world today. And and I think, um, frankly, that was one of the the stimulating factors for us to really, really become prepared because of our our medical knowledge and our understanding of that that Spanish flu. And we could travel from one side of this world to the other side within hours. And so if something is really jumping from human to human... It'll go a lot faster than it did in 1918. It could be... So bad. What do you think about this tool over in Denmark or whatever, a Dane or a, D- a Dutch guy, one or the other, I don't remember, and I know those guys will fight if you call one or the other, but I, I just don't remember. But they, they figured out, like, gee, I can take uh, bird flu and make it transmit from humans by uh, using ferrets and then publishing basically the formula. What I mean, is, is that guy one of the, uh, I mean, do we really need that kind of knowledge being put out there? I, I cannot imagine what his motive is to, to formulate and to put together a virus that could kill billions of people makes absolutely no sense. What purpose would you have to actually produce it? And not so only to is, create it, but to then put out how he did it. Yeah. That's what freaks yeah. me we, out. This is, this is, you know, pure and simple, a biological weapon and, and, and biological weapons are uh, – we have 163 countries that have signed a pact not to produce or research into biological weapons. There are a number of violations, of course, that have occurred since that pact was signed, I think, in – Yeah, if you want to trust your government when they make a pact, ask an Indian yeah. about a treaty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're, 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 dirt, you're dirt tootin'. So, so these things are out there, and what I would say at the first uh, – what I would say to someone who's trying to keep their survival community healthy, at the first sign that in your area, 
that there are, are signs of that kind of infectious disease going on, immediately go into seclusion mode. Isolation. And immediately, uh, yeah, and you know those people in China and in, in, in the Asia that are walking around wearing masks, they don't have it necessarily wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I did see a major failure with that. Remember when the swine flu was, in the, you know, every elected official was telling us to wash our hands and sneeze on our sleeve and, and all that, and it was, I was like, this is crap, this is the normal flu. But they had people in Mexico were freaking out of it, and they put this one little kid on the news, and I just felt so bad for this kid. Uh-huh. He's sitting in, like, a public square. He's got his blue surgical mask on. He's got a Coca-Cola. <laughs> he lifts the mask, drinks the Coke, and puts the mask back down. You just, <laughs> you put your, you go, this is, you're doing it wrong. Um, but... It, that, see, that's my other side of this. So, like, everybody, when they hear pandemic, they think of, like, the movies and made-for-TV, and there's this thing that, like, is a 75% infection rate to 50% death rate, and even the people that don't die are heavily incapacitated. But I don't think people get, just from a body count, what something with, let's say, a 50% infection rate and 5% lethality rate would do globally. Oh, a- absolutely. That would... Think about the interruption of, of services. Truckers. Yeah, think oh. think about it, what would happen in, in a lot of these situations where people, there would be so many people that that are sick or that might not report to essential positions because they're concerned about getting sick. That's right. That many, many services, even something as, as you would consider as basic as garbage collection, you know, just are not going to occur. And because of that, more infectious diseases Correct. are going to... It is one it's big... It's a domino effect. Because well, I mean, what made me start thinking this way, I already did, but like what really drove it home for me was the swine flu non-pandemic, right? Yeah. Um, so this happens, and then it's on TV, and they do things like they canceled Mayfair in Fort Worth, which cost local vendors tens of millions of dollars while they were running a concert across town. Uh, with 20 times more people showing up in much more close proximity indoors instead of outdoors. So none of it made any sense. It, it seemed like complete BS to me in the first place. I was like, everybody calm down. Yet people freaked out. The first thing that happened, if you went to any kind of a medical supply store and looked for surgical masks or uh, any kind of particulate mask, they were gone. The next day, if you went to Home Depot or Lowe's looking for dust masks because you were a contractor and you needed them for your job, they were gone there. And, and this was nothing. This was an absolute overall nothing on the on the global threat matrix it was no more severe in fact the 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 infection and death rates were lower than the normal strain of the flu for that year they they said by the time it was all over with and that's how people reacted so when people actually do start dropping over when it is serious when people are losing their wife or their child Mm -hmm. what kind of result do you expect to see out of that well uh I can't tell you how bad it, how bad it would be in that circumstance. I haven't gone through that type of experience myself. I don't, thank goodness nobody has. I, I mean, this, I foresee a complete country. shutdown. But who's going to go to work? Just expect shutdown of services. Just expect that. Well, from from our standpoint, as as uh, as medical folks, just expect that you're going to be likely on your own with regards to medical care because. Medical help is not going to be on the way, and you know even in the hospitals they're going to be so overwhelmed. I mean, it's like a, it, it will even without mass casualties, it will be like a mass casualty incident because you're going to have 
more people that need attention or that go for attention than the uh, medical resources can handle. Tamiflu will sell out in 10 minutes. And my other suggestion is if this ever starts to happen, it looks like it's legitimate, not being overblown. Not only should you uh, quarantine yourselves and quarantine anybody that would be coming into your house that you would say, like, if somebody would be taking in, like, quarantine them until you get over the symptom time frame. Quarantine your freaking money, because if this happens, if you think it was an economic uh, recession that we went through over a housing bubble, shut down essential services for three to four weeks in this country and see what that does to the economy. Oh, boy. I mean, this is not Japan where people are, are stoically waiting in long lines to get water. With their hands and things, folded and Things and like quiet. that. You know, I, I, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this, that it's amazing how stoic they were and how well-behaved they were uh, during the Fukushima uh, disaster over there. And, but that's not going to happen here. No. Here you're going to have widespread civil unrest. You're going to have widespread civil unrest if gas goes up to 7 bucks a gallon. They'll be looting. The grocery stores <laughs> will be empty. First of all, the pharmaceuticals will be emptied out. All of the pharmacies will just, there'll be nothing left. But the, but the bottom line, without, without being, I know we're, we're talking a lot of doom and gloom here, but you <laughs> can be, and we're doom and bloom, not doom and gloom. But, uh, <laughs> but the, the important thing for people to know is everything that we're talking about are just more and more reasons to be prepared. Now, a lot of a lot of guys and a lot of preparedness families have their beans and their bullets together. It's just time to get those bandages up to the level of your beans and bullets. Because I, I think the whole thing is interrelated. If we look at any disaster area, when they ask for help, what do they ask for? Food, water, comfort items, and medical supplies. Yep. That's, that's always the short list. That's always what's in need. That's always what, what's desired. And then the, the other thing they need is people that can come in and logistically uh, do those things. So people with medical training, people with logistical training, people with security training. And, and they all go hand in hand. And I, I think we just showed how a pandemic can cause an economic recession or collapse. But an economic collapse can cause a, a, a pandemic. And not necessarily the H1N1 strain of the flu, but like you said, okay, if people aren't picking up garbage – Yep. And, and sewer systems aren't working, this relatively healthy way that we live, people die every day in, in, in parts of Mexico from diarrhea. Right. right. Not in disaster areas. Just like, that's, oh, what did he die of? Oh, he died of diarrhea. Oh, got him too. I mean, it's, it's, that's kind of the reality in some parts of the world. And we've been largely isolated from that in modern history because we have a very well-networked group of systems that take care of waste disposal and nutritional requirements and climate control and... and and water purification. Correct. You know, I mean, I would prefer not to have fluoride in my water, but I would rather have fluoridated water than no water at all or water full of cryptosporidium and gerardia. Yeah. Exactly. You're, you're exactly right. We're going to have to be prepared to deal with all sorts of threats uh, if things like this happen. And it only makes sense to have the appropriate supplies, not only the appropriate supplies, but enough supplies to handle more than the amount of people that you're actually expecting to show up at, at your door or that are supposed to show up at your door in times of trouble because you're going to wind up dealing with more people than you think. So, you know, those, if you have five bottles of antibiotics in your, uh, in your storage, you know, that may be okay for a while for a couple or a couple and a, and, and a small child, but 
you know, you're going to have more people in that that are going to be looking to you for help. And, you, you know, you, are you going to turn away your eight year old niece or, you know, or, or, or your, your mom or, or the old lady down the road that walked your kid to school the day before this all started. Right, right, exactly. The old lady down the street who just became a widow. I mean, you right. were going to turn her away? No. Right. The bottom line is you could never, ever, ever, ever have too many medical supplies. I mean, if you ever are crazy enough to let go of any, uh, to feel that any of them are, are extra, I mean, they will be powerful barter. You better get something barter, good. They'll be powerful barter items. Oh, absolutely. I think anything that has long-term storability and universal understanding is a barter item. So I can barter a knife. I can barter a bottle of antibiotics. I can barter a silver silver coin. About the only thing I can't barter in a true collapse is cash. I mean, that's, that's the one thing that actually becomes worthless is cash. No, no, well. No, it's great toilet no, paper. Right, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Which we'll all be desperate. We'll all be desperate for if we don't get enough. <laughs> well, that was another thing that Dorothy said. We really need to stock more of. And I'm like, and I have like a kind of like a side note advice here for anybody with your spouse. Whenever your spouse says anything's a good idea, just say yeah, okay, go do it. Um, whatever level they want to participate on, oh. get them participating. And talk about barter power. I mean, if there's no toilet paper in the neighborhood, what's a roll worth to you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're, you're a wise man, Jack. A bottle of Jack whiskey. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think your book is awesome, guys. Um, I'd kind of like to finish up with a little bit more on the alternative health side of things. You kind of talked about this already, but I'd like you to say a little bit more about why it's important to 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 marry that to like like say conventional medicine because like I've always believed that like it's it's my first choice rather than my last resort like so if I'm having chronic headaches I'm more likely to try turmeric than uh, harsh medications but on the other side of things if there's a yield sign in my spleen please take me to the emergency room now <laughs> <laughs> like you know, you're absolutely right I think that uh, for, for early issues or for, for milder issues, I think you should start with the alternative medications because uh, they have, uh, I think they have, you know, extraordinary medicinal benefits. They, they rarely have side effects. They are things that you could actually possibly produce more of. I mean, if you have, if you need something that's going to take care, can be taken care of by chamomile tea, you can you can grow more chamomile if that's what it what it takes. You know, it's you have to realize that. And I'm, I'm drinking it while I'm talking to you right now, and it tastes good. So <laughs> I mean, oh, right, that's right, <laughs> and it's good for right. you. Yeah, chew on a tablet uh, of antibiotics and see how that tastes. Yeah, <laughs> but but fish mocks. But, <laughs> but you need those also. And you know, if you have if you have a major issue going on, you may have to switch into conventional mode if it if it's if it's necessary to. You break a leg, you're gonna need a splint, okay? And it, that's just the way just the way that is. So why not put both of these together, all the alternative remedies together and put uh, conventional medicine together and, and put it as you mentioned you mentioned the word marriage and it is actually just like what you and Dorothy have a perfect marriage and and this is what we need to do and to maintain our health in times of trouble we've got to figure out what is in the environment what can be grown that will make us better we have to accumulate our medical supplies 
so that we have all the tools in the woodshed. And if you don't do that, it's like uh, entering a boxing match with one hand tied behind your back. And would like from your from your standpoint, Amy. I mean, I know you're like me. You're like a garden freak. You're growing everything and everything you can. And I know you like to grow a lot of different herbs. Oh. To me, like I constantly cook with herbs. I don't use a pinch of of parsley when I do stew, or you know, a tablespoon. I use a freaking handful of fresh parsley. I use oregano and parsley and thyme and you know cilantro. Uh, I cilantro. Oh, my wife is a fiend for that. And to me, all of that stuff, and we put that in our daily diets, we're also doing a lot of preventative medicine. So it's, we're, we're heading things off with anti antibiotics, antivirals, antibacterials. I mean, I, I was amazed when I first really started doing research into uh, herbs, and I started going, well, what are, what are the, the, the properties of an herb? What are their, what are their, you know, their therapeutic properties? And you, I, I went through and discovered, like, the 40 most common ones, and they were all things that were also in medications. And then when I started saying, well, what herbs have these – I would find, like, well, certain herbs were known for certain things, but, like, the main cooking herbs had freaking everything. Amazing. Rosemary. Rosemary. I hope you planted a lot of rosemary. They yep. make a beautiful bush, and they grow like crazy. Right. Dorothy right. loves rosemary. I have rosemary. The whole house would be surrounded by it if she had her choice. Well, you could make a beautiful hedge from rosemary, and it, it just smells so incredible. And then plant some other herbs in front of it and just sort of make a layered little hedge there. And, and if you roast chicken and potatoes together without rosemary, you're just wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm with you, man. That's delicious. Absolutely. But uh, one, another reason we, we did put these natural things in here, again, it is prevention. When you eat these things, you are keeping your body at tip-top shape. You're providing little soldiers that if something is trying to infect you, that they're going to take care of it. You won't even know it happens because you're eating so healthy. And even in a situation where, let's say you broke a bone and you're, or you've had it, uh, some kind of injury and, and you're healing from it, uh, there are a lot of, of herbs that will help boost your immune system help you heal faster. That's right. Another question, we were kind of joking around about the accidental ethanol ingestion earlier, <laughs> yes. um, but... And then there's always the guy that says, yeah, I got my Jack Daniels for medicinal purposes. But do you guys actually see a value of high-proof grain alcohol for medicinal purposes? Sure. It's an, it's an awesome antiseptic. Okay. Oh, absolutely. And, and so on that that standpoint, a lot of people would say, well, then why not use isopropyl alcohol? You know, so is there – to me, it's dual use, right? It can be ingested. If I got somebody completely, like, freaked out and I can give them two shots of vodka and shut them up so I can take care of other people, I see that as just as medicinally valid as fish moss. It has a, I, it has a sedative effect. Absolutely. I, I, would, I would much rather have gallons of that than gallons of, of isopropyl alcohol. Because what, actually, once you open that up, that starts to um, oxidate and it'll go bad. I think your whiskey's going to last a lot longer, or your or your high proof alcohol. Plus, like if I have like high proof vodka or Everclear, whatever, and moonshine, I don't care Everclear. what it is. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> Keep away from open flame, right? But the other thing is with the herbal stuff. There's a lot of herbal extractions that I can do using grain alcohol. Right. Where if I do that with isopropyl alcohol, I'm making very good taste. Well, probably bad tasting, but good smelling poison. Yeah, you can make tinctures. Exactly. Beautiful, wonderful, healing tinctures. Right. We're going to, I think, in uh, the second edition of the book, which I think we'll put out next year, uh, I think we're going to do a little 
we'll have a chapter on how to to make some of the salves, salves tinctures. tinctures, and bombs, and uh, uh, how to uh, do the what they call the maceration process, which is where you infuse herbs into oil. Yep. Yeah. So, what do you guys think, and I'm including Dorothy in this one, as to why most medical professionals take so much exception to actually accepting these things? I think it's a lack of education, to tell you the truth. They, you, when you begin your medical training, and whether that's as a nurse, because I experienced it too, or a doctor, you are given a curriculum that has probably been there for many, 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 many years, basically unchanged, and they just follow you through it, and it's all about pharmaceuticals. They are afraid of the FDA to mention alternatives, and I trained as a certified nurse midwife in a master's program, and even, you know, our, our history of midwifery is the community um, healer. You know, that's, that's our history. We, we knew... Yeah, the midwife didn't just deliver babies. No. She was a, a, a community medic. Exactly. exactly. We, we were the ones who grew the chamomile and the echinacea and knew about the, the bark of the, the tree, the, the willow bark. And we knew all of these things. And this was our knowledge that we imparted... And, and utilize to help take care of our community. Now, I went through a midwifery program. Every once in a while, they mentioned a, you know, little herb, but they frowned upon it because they knew that if I went into practice at a hospital or with a private physician, which I've worked in both places, and I told my patient to use X herb instead of X pharmaceutical that I could lose my license because that was not FDA approved. A lot it, of it just it boggles my mind, too, because, like, take something like ephedrine they took away, right? Because a couple of people died from it. And a couple of people did die. Never mind they ate half a bottle, um, <laughs> you know, and then, and then drank 17 cups of, uh, of dark coffee and then went out and ran a marathon. No, let's leave that part out, but a few people did die of it. Let's say 10 people fell over dead using it according to the label. Can you guys tell me how many people a year die from the prescribed use, proper use in, 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 of uh, pharmaceutical drugs? Yeah, well, that, is, that depends entirely on the, on the different pharmaceutical. Uh, there's probably a couple of people that die every year just from, from taking too much Tylenol, believe it or not, because it does have some effect on, uh, I believe, kidney and liver. Or, or drinking so, too much water. So uh, almost anything <laughs> has the possibility... I mean, I just read something recently, guys. It was something like 220,000 people died last year from the quote-unquote proper use of pharma. In other words, they used it according to the label, and this is all combined prescription and non-prescription drugs. Right. 220,000 people killed drug-wide in the U.S. last year from, from proper use of pharmaceuticals. Well, I can I tell you, I I can, I can tell you that uh, my mother, who developed, uh, never a smoker, by the way, and developed lung cancer in her late, uh, in her in her 70s and and she died she uh, probably would have died of the cancer over time but actually she died a lot quicker because she was she took uh chemotherapy which mm-hmm. perfectly legal medication uh indicated FDA approved FDA approved indicated for that and and I'll bet that an uh, a percentage of uh of that 200 what did you say 220,000 yeah uh, 
220,000, I'll bet a percentage of, of them uh, died as a result of, of medications like that. I would not doubt it for a minute that chemotherapy is a major. And, of course, they'll fudge and say, well, that was cancer. Well, it depends. If it was a two-year prognosis and you managed to kill the patient in 24 months, I think you get the credit. Oh, no. Her tumor did not grow. In fact, they said it had shrunk a, a slightly. Huh. But, but yeah. the rest of her yeah. lungs were whited out by inflammation from the chemotherapy. They well, folks, how can people find out more about you guys and uh, get your book? Well, uh, our book is available at uh, createspace.com. It's available at amazon.com, where it is number uh, two in survival skills and and usually number five or four or five or six in uh, safety and first aid. Um, they can go to our website at www.doomandbloom.net, where they'll find uh, uh, not only Lots our book, but our 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 various medical kits and other other products, and over 200 articles on preparedness, medicine, alternative remedies, all sorts of good stuff. We've been busy, Jack. <laughs> and you guys also, in, in all of this, do your own podcast. Yes, we do. We do um, a Saturday night podcast. Um, on, on the Preparedness Radio Network called the Doom and Bloom Hour. And, and tomorrow, tomorrow, we start... A brand new show, which we just dropped the file into uh, Dropbox yesterday on National News Radio. Mike Adams, his uh, radio network, invited us to start a show, and so our first one is tomorrow. Well, I don't know when you're airing this. It's it's Wednesday at 7 p.m. Okay, then it'll be yesterday because okay. this is airing on Thursday. They're going to play it three times a day, so they'll be able to find it. Wednesday okay. at 7 p.m. Natural News Radio. And uh, Saturday at 9 p.m. for uh, the Doom and Bloom Hour under Preparedness Radio. Yeah. Okay, guys. Well, hey, man, I've enjoyed having you guys on the air with us again. You're you're one of the, uh, the, the people on the short list uh, that have a uh, return trip here anytime you want one. Oh, you're so sweet. Well, we are thank honored, you, Jack. We're honored to be here, and uh, I want to take just a, a second to thank you and your wife, Dorothy, for everything you do for the preparedness community. Uh, I don't know where we'd be without you. I don't know about that. I think I don't know where I'd be without this book I'm here looking at. Um, <laughs> just the medical, just the lists alone, guys, are probably worth the price of the book, so I'm going to highly endorse it. Uh, the audience, if you don't have this in your library yet, get out there and get yourself a copy. Thank you very awesome. much. Thanks. Appreciate Thanks it. for having us on. And, and folks, with that, this has been Jack Spirico along with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, and for the first time ever, Dorothy Spirico, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. Like there's nothing I can do It's the price we pay I guess we follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way
Show you.